Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. And before we get started with our conversation today, Laura and I wanted to share a little bit about what you're listening to. We each um, study individually throughout the week as we are really digging into the scriptures and the concepts for the Come Follow Me lesson each week. And then we come together, spend about five minutes talking Sometimes to each it's other. Sometimes like three. Sometimes it's three. I mean, we like really try not to talk to each other, so we'll be like surprised by each other's insights. And then we press record and dive in and do it in one take. So basically what you're hearing is just an unscripted conversation of us sharing with each other what we have been studying th- during the week. And for today, our unscripted conversation is the book of Ephesians. And this specifically correlates with our Come Follow Me manual titled For the Perfecting of the Saints. And this is for dates September 30th through October 13th. It will be our Come Follow Me lesson for this week and next week because we get conference this weekend. So we will not have a new Come Follow Me lesson, but what a wonderful way to connect with conference discussing for the perfecting of the saints in preparation for the conference and our experiences during conference and our afterthoughts. And so I wanted to start off in chapter one. Right off the bat, we have in verse three, and I recognized in our reading that it talks about um, God has predestined destined some of his children to be saved with a question mark in our manual. Well, um, Michelle, I think you should read it because predestined is not a word in the Wayment Bible. Okay, so we're talking chapter 1, verse 3. Correct. Because that word doesn't pop up until verse 5 for me. Well, so yeah, I would start in yeah, so, 4 or 5, yeah. Okay, so let me just start and you tell me when you want for me to stop. Because 4, 5, and 6. 4, four 5, and 6? Sure. Okay. Can can everyone tell that this is unscripted now? <laughs> we just want to reassure people that it really is. Okay, verse four. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So in the Wayment version, which is a version where he translated it directly from Greek, Professor Wayment from BYU um, has written for five and six, he foreordained us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he graciously gave to us in his beloved son. And he states that in the Greek, there is no distinction between foreordain or predestination, that this is a nuanced meaning in Christian discussions, and specifically this idea of pre-planning or preparing, and that these verses go on to talk about the graciously Christ gave us, or Heavenly Father graciously gave us his beloved Son to praise his glorious grace. So this is, we are foreordained for the praising of Christ's grace. And so, Michelle, did you have any thoughts when you were looking at that predestination? So... What I underlined here was that he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. And then the key word for there was after that, it was that. That there's a purpose for it. There's a reason why 
people were chosen that they could become holy. And so I thought about, well, what does that mean to be chosen? Does that mean we're super special and we get put, you know, in this special category of people? And I really think a thought that came to me, so I'm interested to hear what you think about this, that chosen can mean that we were given responsibilities and that we accepted responsibilities. Um, and so when I put it with that sentence structure, that as we accept God's assignments, that we may become holy. Okay, so I, um, first of all, predestination is made a big deal in the Bible because predestination is, uh, in some Christian um, sects, it's God determines the outcome. There is no free will. So it is a belief of some um, sects of Christianity. And of course, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, agency is central to the plan of salvation. So that's why the concept of predestination doesn't sit well with us. And as Wayman has clarified, this is actually specifically about foreordination. But quite honestly, when I first read it, I kind of liked the word predestination when, when we have been talking about things in the plan of salvation because we were predestined to come to earth. Now, the gifts and the decisions we make here on earth, that correlates with foreordination more. But everybody was predestined to come down to earth or participate in that has been here. Um, but for ordination puts, makes free agency part of that or agency part of that, which well, is different. And, and I really like, as, as I were talking about that, when we talk about agency, I agree that that felt really key to me and why I especially liked how it was phrased in verse four, that there was choice because in a sense, I think those that were, willing to accept the assignments that they chose, that it was a choice for them. And I don't think that there's anybody that wanted to be faithful, diligent, and be part of the Lord's work that he said, no, I don't really want you. I don't need you. I don't think that's what was going on here in any way. So, and I love to take what the decisions we made there and the preexistence here on earth. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about our discussions is we get to talk about words like foreordination or priesthood and demystify that a little bit, right? I see that in church in general, what a huge difference it's making as we clarify what some of these terms mean. For instance, priesthood. Um, I feel like in the past few years, we've been talking more and we understand what that word means. It used to be a little more common for people to say, it was really nice that the priesthood passed the sacrament today. The priesthood is the power of God on earth. You can't say the power of God on earth passed the sacrament. It has no gender. It has no person, right? So when we start understanding that terms like priesthood means the power of God on earth, we start demystifying this. So I think when you were talking about foreordination, the concept of agency and that this isn't like God picked out special people and he's like, only you get to be really cool when you go down there. But in some ways, we all have done work in the preexistence that does give us responsibilities here. But what he says, oh, that's further on, but he says we've been foreordained to magnify Christ's grace. It's not like we've been foreordained to magnify ourselves. And so we'll come to that scripture, but I don't want to jump that far ahead. But I have some quotes here that kind of elucidate or give us some ideas about what foreordination can kind of mean for us a little more. And if we're jumping in on that, 
demystification. I think that the concept of foreordination, I like to think of it as part of our preparation before we came to earth, that just as we were set apart, which can be part of what that means, that we also had other preparation. And quite honestly, I find that exciting that we didn't just get tossed down here not knowing beforehand the kinds of challenges or responsibilities that we would be taking on when we came here. Well, and uh, yeah, and so this concept actually of preparation, I think, takes us all the way to the end of this book. So I like that we're starting off there, and hopefully we'll remember to come back to that. But um, in the gospel topics, I'd love to just read part of that because it just states does a good job of demystifying things. It says, The doctrine of foreordination applies to all members of the church, not just to the Savior and his prophets. Before the creation of the earth, faithful women were given certain responsibilities, and faithful men were foreordained to certain priesthood duties. As people prove themselves worthy, they will be given opportunities to fulfill this assignments they then received. And I mean, my husband and I don't sit around talking about foreordination all the time, but I remember in the spring we were having a conversation that touched on this, and I said, honey, I don't know what you've been foreordained to do exactly, but I do know that you have been foreordained to be an officer in the priesthood. There are billions of people that have been on this earth. It is not just by chance that you have been set apart to be an officer in the priesthood. So since since I do know that, like, and we do know that, why don't you magnify that? I think sometimes we forget that it's not um, a coincidence or it's not something small that as members of the church, we have been given so many tools and so much information, so much revelation that why not magnify the fact that we have um, offices in the priesthood or magnify that we're righteous mothers in Zion? We have been given lots of opportunities to choose to magnify that foreordination. But again, it is a choice. We can be given all the tools and all the opportunities, but we want to magnify that. I mean, there's other ways we can find out about our foreordination. And Sister Bingham recently told us that knowing your foreordination is just something that comes with the power of the priesthood. When you've been endowed with the higher power of the priesthood, you can know what you've been foreordained to do. And she just said it straight out in a general women's conference. So this isn't something that um, we can't receive revelation to know more about, really. And it's interesting because I think sometimes when we think of foreordination, the first thing we think of is prophets or apostles or people with these significant visual public callings. And so we think of it as maybe a bit of prestige or a, an, an elevated place. But I would argue that part of foreordination is a call to serve and a call to love. And it's a very specific duty and responsibility there. And to echo, was it Sister Beck you said that shared that with Bingham. us? Bingham, thank you. Also an awesome lady. Yeah, these Bo- women are amazing. Both of them I love. Right, yes. Um, that it's interesting how we find that to be true, that as we... So now let's bring it like to us personally, right? A little less, um, but like if, if I'm interested in finding out what was I foreordained to do, what, what was part of what I prepared to be here for, sometimes we have 
sometimes I have fallen into the trap of thinking, okay, what is this grand big plan that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And then I recognize as I step-by-step pray to understand more what the Lord needs me to be doing here, I'm kind of surprised to find out how simple and how... um, I guess simple is the best word for it. How simple it is what the Lord needs me to do. That doesn't mean easy, but it it doesn't necessarily mean something very complex and mysterious. For example, one of the things that I have been feeling a lot in the last year, and I know we've already talked about this before, but has been my um, the feeling that I've gotten to focus on making my home a place that is like where the spirit can be and where everyone who comes in can feel of my love for them. And I think, okay, yeah, now, but but what else do you need me to do? But really that's like huge. Huge. That is like, huge. I love it. That is ministering on this super core level to these people that I've been, I believe foreordained Mm -hmm. to care for and to nurture and to guide along the Lord's path. Yeah, and when you say um, simple, I was thinking of literal. It seems like the more, the closer I come to Christ, the more literal the scriptures and more literal the words of our leaders become to me. And so the example you just used is a great one. That's why I said, honey, you are um, a, a Melchizedek priesthood holder. Start there. You will magnify a ton if you take that seriously. We will magnify a ton if we take the opportunity to teach with the Spirit in our home we have so many resources. I mean, we also have a patriarchal blessing, right? That's a big one. And and quite honestly, the older I get, I think about how I can look back and see themes in my life. And I suppose you have to get to a mature enough age where you can do this, right? <laughs> um, so since I'm so mature, but, you know, I do see themes in my life that I didn't orchestrate. And I think that helps me understand things. I don't think it's as complicated as we're we sometimes think it is, you know, and he says, um, that these mysteries will become known to us so that we can help establish Christ's things on the earth. So I, and so now I've moved on to like verse 10 in that first chapter that it's not necessarily for us to have special powers. It is actually, but it's for Christ bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And I saw that actually over and over again. This, this, um, we are foreordained to praise his grace, his glorious grace. In verse six, I have to praise his glorious grace. And so if we have that goal in mind with trying to know what we're foreordained to do, I bet we get there a lot faster. And I love how Paul continues to teach them. You know, he's teaching them about this concept. And then I don't think it's a coincidence that in verses 17 and 18, he begins teaching them that we can gain the spirit of wisdom, which I just like really like that phrase. I haven't quite settled all the different things that it could mean, but I like it. And then the first line of the next verse in verse 18, still in chapter one, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And I love that because we, as we are close to the spirit and as we're seeking to understand our place in God's kingdom and our place in singing the praises of the grace of our savior, that we will begin to understand and to see things differently, which is such, um, 
it's really powerful, this shift within us as we be, are able to recognize things in a new way. And I think that it was a surprise to me how that was much more internal and I was expecting a lot more external changes or um, I guess maybe concrete ways of measuring, seeing what was happening. And for me, it was definitely that shift that the eyes of my understanding are being enlightened day by day and week by week as I seek and search. And as I looked at those specific scriptures, I saw more aligning our will with the Savior in the context that the Savior aligned his will with God. Mm. So the beginning of verse 17, in my version, it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom. So I already realized that Jesus Christ has to submit his will to a higher power, and that's what gives him power. But then he goes on to us saying, and if we can align our will with him, we can become part of this power and that Christ will put all things under his feet and make him the head of all things for the church in verse 22 I have. And so when you talked about um, recognizing our place um, and our gifts and you talked about, you know, we think of apostles and prophets, maybe even bishops as these people that are foreordained to do great things. I think it's all of us. It's every single one of us as a member of a church. He makes it, he's saying it over and over and over again, that as we put our will aligned with the Savior, who has put his will aligned with God, we become part of all of that. And that Christ is the head of this church and the fullness of the gospel will come to its fruition when all of us are striving to use our gifts of the Spirit to become part of that movement. And I find that really, like, hopeful. Like, I, th I find it energizing and exciting to think of it in that way, that we all have been placed here with a specific purpose and that... As a result of that, I don't think the Lord ever gives us a responsibility without a correlating strength and grace, and we can be empowered with everything we need to take what's coming ahead toward us. So this gets me really excited because it takes us to the actual church. And uh, my husband bore his testimony on Sunday, and he was kind of talking about the messy middle. I noticed but that. But he correlated it with the church. And all of a sudden, this little light bulb went off in my mind. I have heard people struggling with membership of the church in the past few years when things have become a little more messy. And I've, I've even heard the phrase, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm not quite 100% sure about this church. And so I was thinking about that, and I thought, in the context of everything we've been talking about lately, I really do have that testimony that this church is true. I have the opportunity to perform at different churches often, and I have met so many good people, and there are people with gifts of the Spirit that are not members of this church. But I also recognize that sometimes those gifts of the Spirit are identified in other churches, and they become separate from the body of the church. So, you get someone that leads the congregation because they obviously have this gift of the Spirit. And everybody loves them, and, and it brings them together, and it's nice. But I spend a lot of time with um, music directors of churches, 
and they have that gift of the spirit and they have become separated from the church as the people that always do that. And I started thinking our church in its imperfection is what brings the truth of the gospel. Because if we look, think about the plan of salvation and that we came down here to struggle because there is opposition in all things, why would we go to a church that had zero opposition in anything we did? Why would we go to a church where we only had one calling and we never tried anything different? We've talked about this before. We've talked about our membership in the church bringing us closer as the body of Christ, having to serve with people of diverse backgrounds, people that we wouldn't otherwise expose ourselves to, try to understand, try to love, try to work with, and absolutely try to learn from. And we grow because of that. As we become one in the body of Christ, we learn from each other. And as we've discussed before, we are able to see people's wants and fulfill them with our abundance. And we are able to, in our times of need to be filled. So this is a living church. Christ is at the head. Our prophets and apostles, they are receiving revelation and it has to change. Think about how our society is changing faster and faster. Could we stand stagnant in the revelation? It just doesn't work. And our church is covering a worldwide population of diverse backgrounds and cultures. It doesn't work unless there are, there's fluctuation. It doesn't work unless there's opposition in all things. How do we grow and how do we prove? And I think also I appreciated your thoughts that here we are as a living church. And I appreciate that because we're living in part because the Savior is at the head and he is the living, actively guiding um, head of our church. But also because it's living because the church literally functions as a congregate of all of the individual members. There is no... Like, by and large, like, the vast majority of all of the people that run the church in terms of down at the practical level in our communities, in our buildings, with our Sunday services, these are all people that rotate and change jobs regularly. And we are all, as we've already discussed, in a messy middle of some sort. And so it makes sense that there will be some messy middle visible to us and to each other because kind of like in a family when we, we we can see each other's imperfections the most clearly like the people who live with me know my weakness is the best because that's what it is it's hard to like keep on that like pretty face and so when we are in a congregation with other people week after week month after month we begin to kind of see each other's messy middle and for some people that can feel really unsettling and so you can see how we're going to get into the organization of the family and the the end because yes. we're really talking about the church but we have to stay focused so um so one of because we just came to my favorite part because i love the fact that we can come from all different backgrounds and diversity that this is a worldwide church and we are all brought together in christ that is something I've always appreciated. And so we get to this point where he's talking about, again, the law of Moses has been replaced with the gospel of Christ. And because of that, the walls are coming down. Um, there, were, there was a literal wall with the Temple of Solomon that actually kept the Gentiles and the Jews separate. And so I think this is a reference to that coming down, right? So we're coming together. 
But in verse 18, and, and you know, share yours if it's dramatically different, but it says, therefore, through him, we both have access to the Father in one spirit. He's saying the Jews and the Gentiles now, but this is anybody, this is anybody that comes to Christ with, through, the, through faith. Um, therefore, you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and household of God being built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so my thoughts went to the temple when I read this because that is one of the things I love about the temple. We go into the temple. The standard of entrance into the temple is just that of righteousness. It has nothing to do, in a world with so much division, it has nothing to do with socioeconomic status. It has nothing to do with level of education. It has nothing to do with materialism or money. Or even your calling in the church. Absolutely. And then you go in there and you get to all put on the same outfits and everybody, you know, has is unified by force, right? Like outwardly. <laughs> I love it though, yes. because I was in the temple last weekend and I saw a man in um in an ia, like a lava lava. It's a Polynesian you they're not skirts. So I in a Polynesian garb right? Leaving the temple, right? And automatically, I just saw him out of the corner of my eye and automatically filled with love because this is a man from a different culture than me that I knew was my brother just because we were sitting there in the temple. I love that. Um, I was just so engrossed in what you were saying. I was like going to get emotional well, I mean, with you. The, but, uni the unification but, of but the I'm, church is so beautiful to me that I get emotional. So that's well, my point. Well, yes. And I love that this not only works for us like as a whole, but um, this week I saw a lot of layering that, that Paul is teaching us that there's a purpose and an order in things. And so in those same verses, one of the things that I saw also in the foundation of the prophets, um, in verse 20, he talks about how we as a community, all of us together, all over the world, as you were saying, that we're built on this foundation of prophets, that that gives us our security and maybe the place where we can come together and be as one and that Christ is our cornerstone. He himself is what holds us all together and um, where we can find that unity. And it's interesting that you brought, I mean, not, I mean, I'm sure that this was very purposeful, but in verse 21, he says in whom all the building fitly framed together. So we're talking about this foundation that we're being built upon groweth into and holy temple in the Lord. And I thought about in many ways that that is us, that we are growing into a holy temple. And then in verse 22, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. So all of these things lead unto one another. And that as we build upon this sure foundation of the prophets who are being led by Christ, that he truly is the cornerstone for what we build our lives upon. We grow into this place that is a holy temple. And why? Why do we do all of this? Why do we reference this so that the spirit can dwell within us, so that we can be, can have that constant companionship of the Holy Ghost? And oh, I love that. And I love that. Yes, I love that you took being one as a body of Christ and being one unified as one in ourselves because... I think we fight in ourselves a lot with many different things. Our physical can fight with our spiritual. Our parts can fight with not being focused on the glory of God and just coming together individually. And even, expands. And even what we actually desire can conflict with what 
we think we should desire. And so as we refine ourselves, that the Savior as our chief cornerstone of our foundation can help us with that refining process that we really can grow to a place where we can have that constant companionship. And, and doesn't this go back to, as we align our will with Christ, who has aligned his will with our Heavenly Father, we are led in with him at our head. And right under the section you just read, we go into how the church is organized through, um, a, through authority, a priesthood authority with the prophet at the head. And so now I'm in... Um, Chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about that the apostles and prophets are called by the Spirit and that they are his holy apostles. So to me, that is how the calling was made. It's a holy calling by the Spirit. They're not just people randomly walking around calling themselves apostles like Paul was referring to us, I don't know, like last reading. But these people are set apart in a calling because it's holy and by the Spirit. And he said, I will I will reveal, reveal the mysteries that have not been revealed in this dispensation yet. Um, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs to the Jews now. And even though um, through the gospel of Christ, and even though to us that's a no-brainer because we have so much diversity in the church now, it, that was just so huge in the, in the time that this was being revealed. That's why he had to say it's a mystery. There are not these special, special people that are completely set apart and nobody else has access to God. We may have many tools and access to so much knowledge as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it is through our agency that we can choose to magnify that. It is through our agency that we can become foreordained. And I spent time in the Middle East... And when I was there, I talked to people that, or I think I talked to people that have talked to people that because of the culture there, they actually had people that recognized the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they were counseled to not get baptized because of the influence they could have in their own culture. And so I think there's people that... As members of the church, we have access to so much information, but there's people with other foreordained missions here on the earth. Absolutely. We can choose. We choose how we magnify that. But through the gospel, we have um, a prophet who leads and guides this church. And he goes on to say, again, something that we already talked about, that this church has apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, this is now in chapter 4, verse 11, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And their role is so that we can build up the body of Christ until we all arrive at the university of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, yes, there are people that are set apart to do certain roles in that, but the outcome is so that every single person that wants to can can arrive at the University of Faith, which I'm I'm guessing your co- copy does not say that. My copy does not say. Which <laughs> verse are you in? Because I was trying to find the University of Faith okay. and I could not find it anywhere. Chapter and I'm real four. sad about that. <laughs> Chapter 4.13. Let's see what you got. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, so we, we're for, this is why we're foreordained. We are always foreordained to help Christ with to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And some people have titles, but I promise you, these titles that are listed right here are expansive. I mean, it's great that we got like four things there, but I'm 
there are so many callings. There are so many people that bring their, their fruits of the Spirit, that bring their um, callings to help the Lord with his work. Okay, so this thought came to mind, and it may feel, but it's come to my mind three times, so now we're going to talk oh, about do. it. Oh, please do, please. So I was in California about a year ago now. My uncle was in the ICU struggling for his life, and I was his medical power of attorney. And so I was there around the clock for like four or five days. And one of the nurses that I got to know um, worked for three nights. And I'm also a nurse, so we have that in common. And we were having a conversation. And I was sitting outside the room. I had been studying my scriptures or had some churchish book. And I had to step outside the room because they were doing an x-ray or something. And she noticed my book and asked me about it. And we started talking about Jesus. And she said, you know, I don't talk about this very much, but I have felt, and she was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, And she said, you know, I know that there are things that he needs me to do while I'm here. I have felt it. I have a son. I'm a single mom. And I have felt that I'm supposed to take this step. And I don't know that it's essential to know what that step is, but it was a very specific step. And she said, because when he comes, I am going to need to help people and I need this training in order to do it. And I just felt like like it opened. It was like my spirit could step back and see one level greater this picture of what is being orchestrated all around the world to prepare for the Savior and anyone, literally anyone who would like to participate, he will use that for good and help people to grow. And I can't um, support that any, I, I can't even tell you how much I know that to be true. And I could share stories too, but I will take it even one step further and say two weeks ago, I I was having a conversation with a man of the faith of the Sikh religion, S-I-K-H. And when I talked to him about his understanding of, of the divine, because it is different, um, the way, the verbiage or the way you talk about it, his understanding of the divine was powerful in his life. And when I talked to him about it, I felt that connection. And so we are foreordained to do a great work in this, on this earth, but God is using many people in his battle for good. And um, that's expansive. But as members of the church, we do get tools and opportunities to really fight in that battle. And so let's see, let's... I really love that imagery of being able to fight in the battle. And, and fight along people, like you said, anyone that, that has that love of Christ in their life, they are fighting on the right side. So um, we, we go on to, I, I think just for the sake of time, we should go on to chapter five where, where there's a list of things that can bring the church together and things that can I am, be divisive. I am so excited for this. Cause I know you're going to have some great thoughts well, about this husbands well, and wife. And I think it's worth the five minutes. So I am interested to hear what you said, because I think that this can be a, that some of these verses in Ephesians chapter 5, probably starting verses 22 through about 30-ish, those can be verses that 
maybe are a bit of a struggle and maybe that sometimes we just want to sweep them under the rug a little bit because we don't want to think about them. Well, re- well, then you may not like what my thoughts are because okay. I I'm I ready. read this and I was I have to say that the first so verse 22 is maybe one of the most famous offensive scriptures in the Bible. Cameron. Like you'll be watching like some pop culture show and somebody will, some girl will read wives submit to your husbands. And then like the whole rest of the plot revolves around what is that about? But first of all, let me just say that these verses address relationships in general. The first few, the first three scriptures of this section talk about wives submitting to husbands followed by at least six, seven scriptures of what the husbands need to do. So I just want to point out that not only are we in a different time, in a different culture, um, where women's roles were different at this time, but there's plenty for the husbands to do. But let me tell you where why I find this to be a simple conversation. Verse 32 says... As they finish saying all this stuff about wives submitting to husbands and husbands, what submit to the husbands are like Christ submits to the church. This mystery is great. I am speaking about Christ and about the church. What does yours say for verse 32? Basically the same thing. Okay, so there's no mystery here. Even though this is hundreds of years ago and the roles of women were different. He's basically saying, please try to respect the church and what we're trying to do. And it goes on to talk about husbands and wives and children and parents and, and bosses and work, workers, or in this sense, I guess it's servants and slaves. But, you know, we can go, of course, we need to try to submit to our husbands and husbands, but it also says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. If my husband loved me, and quite honestly, this is again about unification and becoming one and the atonement, that is all becoming one, literally. So once we are one, who do we have any problems submitting to? If we're one, we're submitting to ourselves. And so to take this out of context and try to break it up and pick it apart, I just don't think it's more complicated than Christ submitted his will to the Father, but you don't think that they're, like, not unified. Yes, there's nothing about that. And I think of President Nelson, and this I look at him when he speaks to the whole church. I feel like if he were to come up to me, there'd just be such this reciprocity of, of respect which is weird to even think about, and yet, of course I would submit my will to what the prophet states, right? And so I just, I don't know, I just see it in that context. Is that disappointing? No, (laughs) I actually find it really interesting because we each, because I actually came to a place where I was able to feel really, where I felt like it was felt settled and made sense to me down a totally different pathway than you did. So I think that that's awesome. But this podcast will just be longer than others. Go ahead. But um, because I just really enjoyed that at the key of each of these verses came back to love and that we're not just talking about like a passionate love or a temporal love that can burn hot and then go out. We're talking about loving as the savior loves and that if we can each, that that is sort of like the end place that we're trying to reach is to learn to love as the savior loves. And as we're doing that in partnership, 
with our spouse or with our children or with these other people in our lives that it there will naturally be that desire to work together and to be unified and to be of one thought and plan and not to have that tension between people. Okay, and this is there's so much good stuff in here cuz I could talk about that that too. I mean, I love that. But I think all of this together, when we look at it together, helps us gear up for this end that, honestly, so many people talk about putting on the full armor of God. It's a reference that we hear about a lot. And so the buildup to this is to really remind us that as members of the church, we are enlisted till the conflict is over. And we are not here to impose our beliefs on people, but we really are in a battle. We were in a battle in the pre-existence, and, and we, see it, we see it here too. People are really struggling because Satan's full-on unleashed so much against them. For us to be passive and go, I have all this, but I'm not really interested in putting on the whole full armor of God. I was talking to my kids about this last night. I said, why don't you put on the full armor of God? And they're like, well, well, if I knew somebody was, like, if I knew I was like there was a battle right here, then I'd put it on. But I mean, come on, you know, that's the idea of putting on all this stuff. It's a lot of work when we think about it literally as a soldier in the army of God. I mean, you'd have, he lists all these things to put on. And I, I remember just seeing in television, like you need like a handmaid or somebody that puts it on for you. And it takes a lot of work. And, and my kids were like, well, you know, if it was really a problem, I guess I'd put it on. And I'm like, well, it's too late, right? If you're putting it on when the battle comes, which is a big deal, right? Put it on before then. And then they're like, and, it, and, it, and I think it'd be really heavy and it wouldn't be very comfortable, right? So if you're sitting around in it, it's probably not comfortable. But you're not supposed to sit around it. You're supposed to stand and you're supposed to be in a battle. And then it's not fashionable because, like, it wouldn't look good, you know, Nobody wears that stuff. And so they came up with all these great reasons of not putting on the armor. And I'm just like, this is a real battle. Don't wait for it to be too late. When we're unified in purpose, we are going to be stronger. There's so much strength in numbers. We have leaders to guide us. This is a full-on battle. So gear up and, and, and put everything on. Don't just put something on. You know what? Yeah, maybe if the battle, like, you don't think it's right here, maybe you're just putting on that breastplate of faith, and you're like, yeah, the fiery darts hit me, like, once or twice, but I got this breastplate. I'm good. Well, guess what? You're not going to be it all the time. Put it... Why Why as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have we been given an entire armor, and we choose not to put it all on? So... I kind of was thinking also about putting, what does your verse 15 say? I have by putting shoes on your feet in preparation for the gospel of peace. Mine says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so, I don't know, I was thinking about last week and the higher order or the higher law that we were talking about. And, and I was thinking, I think, I think I came up with a checklist because last time I was going around, I was like, I can do this. There's something we're like, we're circling. I felt like we were circling. I'm just laughing because I don't know if I want a checklist, Laura. Well, here's the thing. But go ahead. We know there's no checklist. We know that. Right. But we're human. So I was like, um, there's something that we know that could be helpful here. Because we were, well, and I was like, it's the fourth article of faith. The law of Moses was um, 
put to an end and the gospel of Christ came and that says faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if we could just every day wake up and go, today I'm going to have faith in Christ. I'm going to walk in Christ. I'm going to believe in Christ. That's the first step. And faith and grace seem to go together, right? Thankfully. And then the second one is having a repentance, a repentant heart, not just weekly, not just daily, but every moment. What if we could like think of, oh, I got to repent. What if we really were in that place? And that's works, obedience, repentance. Those are our works. And then each week partaking of the sacrament with literal desire to do that, we will walk in the spirit. And by so doing, I have this visual in my head of all of us running forward confident in the Lord and running into battle because we're ready. We've got all, all the armor of God. Well, amen. I don't think we can say anything better than that, but I want you to think of that visual when we're in conference and we're sitting there at conference this weekend, all together, unified throughout the world. All right. 